All right, all right, day 191. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in the book of Micah, the last day of Micah. And Micah's name remembers, remember, uh, stands for who is like Yahweh, right? Who is like God. And the message of his book is similar to the message of the other prophets, right? He is prophesying about the judgment that is to come on God's people and the restoration that will come after. And what he wants his people to see is that Yahweh is incomparable, right? Who is like him? And based on the truth that he is incomparable, we ought to meditate on that. And it ought ought to inform the way we live publicly and privately. Look what he says in the very beginning. He says, now daughter who was under attack. I love this. You slash yourself in grief. A siege is set against us. They are striking the judge of Israel on the cheek with a rod. Look at verse two, though. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who was in labor has given birth. Then the rest of the ruler's brothers will return to the people of Israel. He will stand and shepherd them in the strength of the Lord. In the uh, the majestic name of the Lord, his God, they will live securely. For then his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. Listen, we ended off last time talking about a hope for a glorious rule. Remember, in the last days, right? The Old Testament had this uh, old, um, had this last day outlook this uh latter days kind of um hope and we talked about this glorious rule and restoration for god's people and here he talks about a ruler who will come from bethlehem now it's interesting because bethlehem this is why geography is so important chief bethlehem is a city that was so tiny in ancient israel that it was not even mentioned among the allotments When the land was distributed in the book of Joshua to the people of God. But what God is saying, he said, no, no, the ruler I want to bring about to bring about this restoration will be a ruler who is from Bethlehem. Right. So what God is saying, let me let me just peel back some of this. We know that Christ was born in Bethlehem and what God is saying, he's saying, I'm going to bring about my rule and it's going to be in the least likely, least expected way. And that is how God does things. He does things we couldn't imagine in a way that we'd never expect. Right. And so God, because why? Because he wants the glory. (laughs) He wants the glory. He says his origin is from ancient times, from antiquity. He says he will even turn his brothers back to the Lord. So in other words, Israel, he will restore the people of God who have turned away from God. He will turn them back. It says he will be a shepherd. He will possess the Lord's strength. His rule will not just extend to the borders of the promised land. It won't just be from Dan to Beersheba. It will be from the ends of the earth. And his greatness will extend to the ends of the earth. Remember, this is nothing but a promise of none other than the Messiah, the King Jesus Christ. In fact, Michael 5, 2 is picked up in the Gospels when Jesus is born. Listen. In the narrative, though, this functions in an interesting way because judgment is coming. And what the Lord is saying is that my people are not to rely on themselves for their own security and safety in the future, 
but me. God's people will be saved, kept and provided for, as I said, in the most unlikely uh, by the un- most unlikely means in ways that we would never expect. And then the rest of the five is going to come and it's going to outline right how he would bring this end time peace, leaving a remnant, even in the midst of exile. Micah six. Micah six comes. <clears throat> and in this chapter, Michael, uh, Micah is going to uh, kind of seal the Lord's indictment with what is called a covenant lawsuit. All right. So covenant lawsuit. Very important time as you're reading the prophets. One of the things they're going to do is uh, uh, proclaim the covenant lawsuit. Basically, God and Israel are covenant partners, right? They're married, right? They're in covenant. And so, what the prophets do is they come to indict the people of God about the breaking of the covenant. In the first two verses, he he announces the case, right? Then he defends God's actions in verses three through five. Then he hears a response from the people in verses six through seven. Then he reported the basis for God's judgment in verse eight. And then he's going to bring specific accusations in nine through 12 and pronounce God's verdict and punishment in 13 through 16. So it's in other words, it's almost as if the prophets are operating in this kind of uh, biblical courtroom <laughs> where they are um, trying to uh, bring Israel on trial for the guilt and sins uh, which they are guilty of. And so he says, listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. You see it? And he will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron and Miriam ahead of you. In other words, this covenant lawsuit was meant to kind of evoke this judicial language to the covenant breakers right so israel was the covenant breakers and indicate their disobedience based on the covenant that was made now he says this mankind (laughs) he has told each of you what is good and what it is the lord requires of you what is it to act justly to love faithfulness and to walk humbly with the god there's some um later rabbis who actually said this was the sum of the whole law um god tells them that he wanted them to be just. He he had told them what is good. So the way it's constructed, he said, no, no, what's good and what the Lord requires of you are these simple things. God wanted faithful love, covenantal loyalty and love. He wanted them to walk humbly or carefully before the God. He wanted them to act justly. And in verses 6, 9 through 12, we see once again that the leaders of Jerusalem, listen, practice violence and social injustice, right? They cheated people in their trades. The wealthy and the powerful abused the weak through violence. We've talked about it over and over. And they practiced treachery and lied and was deceiving folk, right? In other words, basically, man, what was going on in their day was this method of cheating the poor that by having, uh, which they would do in, the, in those days, they would have these false scales that wouldn't give the poor a fair wage in their society, right? And I love what God says here because he mentions that he will be the one to that sees to it that those who are cheating will not be satisfied, right? He's saying, no, no, I love it because he says, no, no, it's, it's so characteristic of those who are oppressing folks finding themselves empty on the inside, deeply empty, even if their pockets and bellies are full of somebody else's stuff, right? Like that's what God is trying to bring. He's like, no, no, I'm going to see to it that you 
even though you're amassing all of these things for yourself, I'm going to see it that see to it that you will not be satisfied. He also brings up them sewing. It's so interesting here because in six he's going to say some interesting. He's going to say, "Yo, um, uh, cats, you 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 will be sowing but not reaping, right?" Pointing to not only this uh, um, uh, disruption internally, right, where all of their uh, um, uh, internal kind of peace and, and satisfaction will not be met, but also there will be this disruption and plundering uh, uh, and, and non-satisfactory uh, economic um, uh, situation as well, where the crops, remember, crops were the primary source of uh, income in, 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 in the, of the economy, central to the economy. Those could be stopped as well. Why? Because God was in control of those as well. And so, uh, as one of my good friends, uh, Kellum Thomas would say, God knows how to cut folks water off. <laughs> God is the one, right? Like he is in control of absolutely everything and he can do absolutely anything. So we need to uh, orient our lives around him. Micah 7. Micah 7, end of the book. So good. The book ends off talking about a lament, the deep, deep moral, moral and spiritual decline among God's people that's present uh, leads to Micah himself as this prophet uh, lamenting, right? He says, yo, in verse two, he's like, no, nah, no, nah, faithful people have vanished from the land, fam. There is no one upright among the people. Like, ain't nobody out here no more. Nobody. All of them wait in ambush to shed blood. They hunt each other with, with a net. Both hands are good at accomplishing evil. The official and the judge demand a bribe. When the powerful uh, man communicates his evil desire, they plot it together. Listen, he's like, yo, all the good folks are gone, right? Society is disintegrated, right? There's been this breakdown of so many things of the family, of the authority structure, right? The leaders are corrupt and they plot wicked schemes, right? There's a, a, a mistrust of anyone in power, right? And what Micah saw was bloodshed, evil, bribes, and these wicked plots. Like it was a time of deep crisis, but look, look what he does here, though. At the very end, he says this. Who is a God like you? <laughs> Forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion. This is uh, chapter seven, verse 18. For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. He says, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty to Jacob and faithful love to Abraham as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. Micah, in the midst of a terrible, terrible era in history, still hopes in the God of history. Right? He still hopes in the God who is above it all. And I love what he does in this text, fam, because in this text, he quotes Exodus 36 uh, uh, 34, excuse me, verse six. And he is reminded of the reality that God had revealed himself as the God who forgives sin, who is compassionate, who abounds in faithful love and truth. It's been said that um, the last three verses of this book are joined to the book of Jonah for the reading in the synagogue by uh, modern day Jews uh, on the afternoon of the day of the atonement, right? Remember Leviticus 16, once a year on the afternoon of new year, the Orthodox Jew goes to a running stream or river and symbolically empties his pockets of his sins right into the water while he recites his uh, recites uh, verses 18 to 20. 
and I, I think what what um this text is trying to show us is that even in our um, most discouraging discouraging moments, when it seems like there's no faithful person among us, right? We need to be reminded that our hope should rise and fall, not based on the faithfulness of God's people, but the faithfulness of God himself, right? In this text, he's going to use, this is so hard. He uses three words for sin and four words to indicate what God would do with those sins, right? He forgives them. He passes over them. He vanquishes them and hurls or casts them into the depths of the sea. He is the one who will keep his promises that he made to the father, right? He will keep his promises. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me because it reminds me of a quote that Dr. King said. He says that um, we must accept finite disappointment but we can never lose infinite hope finite people should never displace our confidence in an infinite god let's pray god we ask for your grace we pray that even amidst the darkness we see in our own day that it wouldn't displace